Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. So I hope you had a great week. Uh, My weekend was interesting. I went to my oldest two boys track meet. It was about 40 minutes away on Saturday and the weather was not looking great. Uh, It was supposed to rain. It was supposed to be windy. Even my boys were like, mom, you do not have to go. But as the mother. That is my job to be there. So I woke up the three younger kids, um, bribed them with Chick-fil-A. I'm not above bribing my children. They don't go to Chick-fil-A often, so I feel like I can bribe them every once in a while. And off we went to the track meet. We got there right on time. My middle son, Parker, was supposed to be throwing right around 930. So we got there around 935. We're dressed for the weather. We have our winter coats. Well, listen, I have my winter coat. Everybody else is wearing sweatshirts because I don't understand. They, they run by a different temperature. And we all had our umbrellas in case the weather got nasty. And we get there and Parker's coach is like, yeah, Parker's not throwing till the fourth heat. I'm like, oh, no. Like there's, I don't know, 10 to 12 boys in each heat. They each get three throws. So we're about an hour and a half out from Parker even starting. I'm like, okay, well, we're here, which, you know, the younger three were just all upset that we got there too early. But we get there, we start watching the other boys throw, you know, and all of a sudden it starts to rain. And then all of a sudden it starts to rain even harder. And now we're finally in the middle of the third heat. So Parker has not even thrown yet. We've been standing there for almost two hours watching all these other people throw in the rain. And now all of a sudden it starts thundering. The winds pick up. My umbrella breaks because it has turned inside out like, I don't know, 10 times in a matter of 30 seconds. The kids, meaning Ben, Charlie, and Bella, are losing their minds because they're wet, they're cold, they don't want to be there. But at this point, we have stood for two hours watching all these random people throw a javelin that we don't even know, and they postpone the javelin throws. They postpone them for a half an hour. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. We have literally been standing dripping in the rain waiting for this and they postpone it. So I'm like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to take the three younger kids to Chick-fil-A as I promised. And we'll come back and we'll watch Parker throw. Jake wasn't meant to run till like one o'clock. I was like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to stay for him. But I was determined to watch Parker throw. And while we're at Chick-fil-A, I get a phone call and it's from Parker. And he's like, yeah, they, they decided to call it. We're not throwing anymore. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? 
we stood in the pouring rain with broken umbrellas for an hour and 45 minutes. And now they're just calling it. Like, why would they not just postpone it? He's like, I don't know, mom. They called it. It's done. I was like, okay. So then we proceeded to drive home. It took us like over an hour to get home because of traffic. And it was, it was a rough Saturday. I'm just going to lay it out there. Everybody was angry. Everybody was cold. They were tired. They were wet. Um, yeah, not our greatest moment, but listen, we showed up. That's what our family does. We show up for each other and we show up even if it gets canceled or postponed or we are angry people, but we still show up. And hopefully when Parker ends up going to therapy one day for something else that I did, uh, he can at least tell his therapist that his mom and siblings showed up to his track meet to watch him throw. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jake has nothing. Jake's like, yeah, my mom left, <laughs> left me by myself. So yeah, that's what happened. That was our weekend. Otherwise, it was pretty low key, which I am all about low key weekends just to kind of refresh and regroup from the busy weeks. Today's topic is titled and the Academy Award goes to and the answer, can you guess, is you. You win the Oscar. Today we're talking about the stories we tell ourselves and the drama that unfolds from our stories, right? We love to tell a good story. Now, I opened up with the story about the track meet. It was a true story, but I don't know. I'm trying to think now. Did I add more drama than necessary? I don't think so. It was pouring. It was miserable. My kids were on me complaining every three seconds. I don't want to be here. I'm cold. I want to go home. Why are we here? Why are you making us be out in the rain? Like it was pretty traumatic as the mother, um, but I'm sure it wasn't fun for them either. But we love a good story. And I have been known to maybe dramatize a few details when I tell a story. I'm not going to lie. Um, sometimes I may stretch just a touch, a detail. Uh, some people exaggerate details. I'm sure I've done that too. I try to be better about it though. But we love to make stories more dramatic. We have a flair for the arts. We love a good Netflix drama. Um, I read, actually my friend, Carrie, she recommended the book, The Inheritance Games. It was really good. Apparently it's a series, so I read book one. I now have three more books to read. But we love books that keep us on the edge of our seat. We love a good drama. We love a good fight. Um, we're back to watching Survivor on TV with the kids because that's plenty of drama there. But we love drama. And sometimes, because of our love for drama, we insert drama where it doesn't belong. And today I'm going to give you a couple examples of where drama doesn't belong and how to work your way out of it. So again, what is the story you're telling yourself when it comes to certain situations? And when you understand the story you're telling yourself, you can then understand why you make the decisions you do. You can understand then why 
you follow a certain set of patterns over and over again when you understand the story. A lot of people will come into my office and be like, I just don't know why I can't do what I want to do. Like, I have all these good intentions. I know what I should be doing. I just can't follow through. And sometimes it has to do with the narrative. What are we telling ourselves in certain situations? So again, I want to give you like three, I said four, I think I have three specific examples of where this pops up. And again, some practical techniques and tips on how to back yourself out of it. So the first dramatic story, the first dramatic lines that you may be delivering uh, on a subconscious note or even a conscious note, this one happens frequently at the end of the day is nighttime is the only time I get to myself. Right? Like, I deserve to eat this snack because I had a rough day. And nighttime is the only time I get to myself. So, you know, I have to take it. I'm kind of inserting a couple different dramatic lines in there. Right? I've had such a hard day. I was listening to something on Facebook one time. And they said, did you have a hard day? Or did you have a hard five minutes? And you turned that five minutes into a hard day. Did you have a hard conversation with somebody and that was the end of it? Or did you let that hard conversation bleed into everything else you did that day because the day was ruined because of that conversation? A lot of times we're dramatic. It wasn't a hard day. There was maybe some aspects that were hard, but it wasn't a completely hard day. Perspective will tell us what hard is, right? When we see people going through really crazy stuff, really bad stuff, that's great for perspective. But one that I hear often once we start getting to the root of the problem is, you know, nighttime is the only time I get to myself. Well, if that is your story and you're sticking to it, It would make sense then that if nighttime is the only time you get to yourself, you're going to turn nighttime into a flippin' wonderful experience, right? If this is the only time you're going to get to yourself, then we better pull pull out all the stops. We better make sure we have the right food and we have the right shows and we have the comfy blankets and we have this amazing experience to soothe and restore us because we had a bad day. And if you had a bad day with eating, well, that just gives you even more permission to continue the dialogue. Because I've already screwed up, so I might as well keep going. I've already screwed up today, so I might as well finish off the ice cream so that way it's not a threat or a challenge for me tomorrow when I have to be perfect. This is a pretty dramatic statement, right? And so... Let's just start questioning. Let's, let's ask better questions at this point. Like, again, was it a hard day or was it a hard five minutes? What do you really deserve? So you may think you deserve potato chips when you don't feel well, but I will argue that you also 
You also deserve compassion. You also deserve gentle boundaries. You also deserve to feel proud of yourself when things are hard. You also deserve to figure out how to handle uncomfortable emotions without trying to plow through them with food. I would argue you deserve those things. But those are not the sentences you're telling yourself when you're in the middle of your dramatic delivery. So just a question. Do you resonate with that? Do you notice that you create a meaningful evening experience because you think it's the only time you get to yourself all day? And I would argue that that's even true. Right? First, okay, now I'm not going to, I don't want to go there because I'm going to have people that are going to get angry. But Moments that I can remember where I didn't have much time to myself was when my kids were really little. Like where you constantly have to watch them at every second because you don't want to keep them safe. You want to make sure they don't hurt themselves or somebody else. So you do have to be like kind of on point. But even then, there's nap time. Even if your child doesn't sleep for the whole two hours or three hours or however long you put them down, there is a point where they might sleep for 20 minutes. And so that is time for yourself during that moment, right? There are times to yourself when you're in the car and you're driving to work. Those might be moments that you have to yourself. If you look for them, you will find them. But if you just start throwing around blanket statements, I never get time for myself, then you're going to act in accordance to that statement. You're going to turn the nighttime into a full-on event to justify, rationalize, and, and cope with all the terrible things that happen. Right? We often talk about gratitude, the practice of gratitude and the art, and how when you seek out things to be grateful for, you find them. But if you're looking at evening as the only time you get to yourself, chances are you're going to take advantage of that night to soothe every single ailment, thought, feeling that culminated throughout the day. So that's one place where I hear um, usually Academy Award speeches. Uh, this one actually came from a client that I had the other, the other week. And I know she listens to the podcast, so she'll have to chuckle when she, she hears this. But one of the dramatic statements that she said was, you know, if I don't eat after dinner, dinner I'll starve. If I don't eat after dinner, I'll starve. I remember just looking at her. I'm like, all right, hold on a second. Like, lay out the scene for me because I want to make sure I understand what this looks like, right? As like, is this one of those scenes where, you know, you are on the couch and you don't let yourself eat a snack after dinner and now you are weak and now you, it's everything you can do to throw yourself off the sofa and army crawl your way to the kitchen, just hoping that you can find a, a morsel, a, a sweet potato crumb that may have haphazardly fell off the counter. And as you reach for that crumb of food to bring it to your mouth and give you sustenance, you starve to death. 
<laughs> and she just looked at me and she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, yeah, that, that was pretty dramatic, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, but when you tell yourself these stories, like if I don't eat this, I will starve. Your mind immediately goes to a starving situation. And so then you act accordingly. If I am going to starve, I better eat all the food right now because it's not going to be accessible to me later. This is why we have to be really, really careful with the words we choose. Even if we're saying them in jest or out of fun. Like, no, I know I'm not actually going to starve. Well, but in those moments when you choose those words, your brain is going to behave accordingly. Right? So it's really, really important you choose those words carefully. Don't tell yourself you're going to starve. You know, more with that conversation, that client eventually got to the point and she was like, you know, I probably am not going to starve. I may actually even be okay. I don't know because I've never tried it before. I may be a little uncomfortable. I may feel a little hungry, but I doubt it's going to impact my sleep. But what I'd like to do is try it and just see if my worst fears come true or if I'm just exaggerating and I'll actually be just fine. I think that's the ticket with a lot of this. We just need to get curious and try things. Instead of already writing the ending, let's actually do an experiment and try it. Let's see if you actually starve to death. I told her, you can, I will give you my cell phone number <laughs> if you need to call me so I can come over and, you know, use a syringe and drip nutrition down your throat while you're starving on the brink of death. We can arrange that. But I really think you might be okay considering you eat dinner later at night. So I want you to think about, do you use that narrative? If I don't eat something, I'm going to starve. I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. Your stomach is the size of your fist. All right. So actually hold your fist out in front of you and look at it. That is the size of your stomach. If it has been two hours since your last meal, your stomach is still the size of your fist. If it has been seven hours since your last meal, your stomach still the size of your fist. If it has been 12 hours since your last meal, guess what size your stomach is? The size of your fist. What you are responding to in moments where you have long periods of time without eating is low blood sugar. Your stomach is not growing in size the longer it has been since your last meal. What you're feeling is your blood sugar tanking, and that is what is creating this intensity and urgency behind eating. But your stomach is not growing. So something, that little tip can be really helpful when you feel the need to maybe overeat or eat very quickly or eat something large because it's been a longer time since your last meal just reminding yourself, my stomach is still the size of my fist. This is not my stomach needing more food. This is just my blood sugar needing to return back to normal, which will happen as soon as I start to resume the eating process.
All right. So again, this is one of those cases where we need some truth in the moment when our brain wants to take that thought and, you know, take it 10 times further when where it needs to be. All right. Here's another one that I see often, right? How long is this going to take? Right? Especially for my weight loss clients. This is taking so long. And usually there's a little bit of whininess in their in their voices. Right? This is just taking so long. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Okay. So I had a client in the other day who, when she first came to see me on that initial visit, she said, I don't care how long this takes. I want to learn how to lose weight the right way. I want to learn how to fuel my body with healthy foods. I want to learn how to do this whole eating thing because I never really learned growing up. Uh, never learned about nutrition. So I'd like to learn. And, you know, I'm willing to put in the work and put in the time. I'd rather it go slower. So that way I know it's working and the habits are sticking. So, you know, can you help me with all this stuff? To which, yes, yes, we can help you do all those things at Body Metrics, all of them. And then a few weeks later, the same person comes in, it's not working. Why is this taking so long? Like, I'm only losing about a half a pound to a pound a week. Like, oh, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Is there anything we can do to make this go faster? Right? And it's normal. It is very normal. So although you know you want something different, it's hard to change your way of thinking when fast, easy fixes have been the narrative for your whole life. You know that that way, that old way of eating doesn't work, but because it's the only way that you've learned (laughs) growing up or the only way you've tried and your experiences have only been around that one way, it's hard to drop those feelings of needing things to go fast. It just is, right? So we talked it out. We looked at the pace at which she was losing. We looked at the things that she still had included in her diet. We looked at her portions. We looked at her um, selections. She was doing a fantastic job. And I'm like, you are learning how to eat long-term and you're seeing results and you're not giving up all your favorite foods. You're still able to eat everything that you want to eat. You're just learning to do it in a different way. And because you're still incorporating all your favorite foods and enjoying fun foods here and again, it's not going to be as fast as if you dramatically cut everything out. But I promise you the work you're doing right now is long-term, right? We all say we want to do the work we all say we want to do the right thing and, and learn how to eat for, for a lifestyle change. But most of us aren't delivering that same narrative a few weeks in. It's not working. I have learned over the years not to panic when people say this to me. It's not working. Or another line, another dramatic line that I get a lot is, I haven't lost anything. I used to panic. I am going to be honest with you. When people would come to me and say, I'm doing everything you said to do and it's not working. 
I would freak out inside. I would try not to express that, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I've told them everything I know and it's not working. And now, you know, they're going to be angry. They're not going to keep coming. They're going to tell everybody they know that this doesn't work and that they should never go to body metrics, right? I would panic inside. And then I started to learn to ask better questions, right? Because a lot of people, when they say it's not working, it actually is working. It's just not working fast enough. So when somebody says, I haven't lost anything, typically those people will have lost between four and five pounds. But to them, that's basically zero. I don't know if they're just rounding down because that's what they learned in school or if they just associate four with zero because it's not 14. I'm not quite sure what is the number that people start to take themselves seriously at, right? Because four pounds in four to six weeks is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. You've got a better shot at losing body fat and not muscle mass when you do it slower than if you try to get the weight off too quickly. And long-term, that does damage to your metabolism. So let's just be honest, right? When you come in, all damsel in distress, hand on your forehead, I haven't lost anything yet. Is that the truth or... Have you started your journey and it's not, it's just not meeting your expectations in speed because you're used to doing more dramatic things, right? Or I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing and it's not working. I am doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. That is a very dangerous statement because chances are you're not doing everything, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm not doing everything. There's more I could be doing with my own diet, right? So it's very rare that I come across somebody who is doing everything. In their head, they may be doing everything Monday through Thursday, but I guarantee you they're not doing everything Friday through Sunday, right? And usually when I call people out on that, they get a little uncomfortable because nobody wants to be called out, right? You know, I'm measuring all my foods. Oh, okay. So, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Oh, well, I went to, um, to Starbucks and I got breakfast there today. Okay. So you're not measuring all your food, right? Honestly, you have to be honest with yourself. And it's very helpful when you're honest with me because then I can figure out where to pivot and create different potential solutions than if you tell me you're doing all the things and you're not losing any weight when that's just not true. So be really careful with the words you're choosing because your actions will follow. If nothing else, just be honest with yourself and start there. Now, I do have a couple of tips. I have like five of them. So when you are in the middle of telling a story to yourself or when you are in the middle of your academy performance, um, I want to give you some questions that you can ask yourself to bring you back down, right? Bring you back down to earth. Number one is I want you to ask yourself the question, what if I'm wrong? 
what if I'm wrong, right? Like in the case of the person who's doing everything, what if, what if you're wrong? What if you're not doing everything? When you think that you're doing everything, it closes your mind to new options and new opportunities. But when you ask yourself, what if I'm wrong? It allows your creative juices to start flowing and to look for potential solutions, right? For my, my lady that was starving and army crawling to the kitchen because she was near death. What if she's wrong? What if she wouldn't starve to death if she didn't have a snack before bed? What if she actually was just okay and went to bed and then woke up the next morning? For my person that says nighttime's the only time I get to myself, what if you're wrong? What if we tracked your day and we looked at all the opportunities of where you were and what you did and you found out that there actually were more opportunities for you to be by yourself? What if I'm wrong? All right. So another question that could go along with that is, is this true? Is this a true statement? And if you're ever curious, you can either run it by me <laughs> or run it by somebody that you trust like a friend or a spouse or a coworker, somebody that you feel comfortable and able to get a little vulnerable with because sometimes we just need to say these things out loud and we recognize that, oh, yeah, that's kind of silly. But when they're swirling around in our brains, they feel very, very true, especially the statements that you have repeated to yourself over and over again. Your brain will believe whatever you repeat and you will turn it into a truth. I was just listening to a, a podcast earlier today and they were talking about when you don't have all the information, your brain fills in the gaps. And whatever your brain fills in, your brain will believe it's true. Even if it's not actually true. But your brain will believe that it's a true statement because, again, any information you don't have, you fill in the rest of the story. So we have to be careful that we're telling ourselves the right story. Um, a third way to bring yourself back down to reality is how could I think about this differently? Again, that's a very expansive question, a growth mindset versus one that, you know, I'm doing all the things and there's nothing else to do. So therefore, it's just never going to work. Right? How could I think about this differently? How could I take a different perspective? And then finally, another question you could ask yourself is, um, how would I talk to a friend about this? Like if a friend came to me with this problem, how would I advise him or her? What are the words I would say? Right. One of the things that you can do is something that I like to do is go back to the basics. Right. How does this work? Right. Let's go back to science. Let's go back to physiology, anatomy. I do a lot of work with my clients explaining how things work in the body so that they have true statements to anchor to when their brain likes to be dramatic. Right. Again, size. Stomach is the size of your fist. That is a true statement. But there are times where you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten forever and I just need all the food to make it better. Nope. That is a story you're telling yourself. But truth is your stomach is the size of your fist. 
And when you can start speaking truth into your story, you can create different outcomes. All right. So sometimes we need to go back to the beginning, right? This is actually something we do a lot at Body Metrics. The very first session, I spent a lot of time with creating a foundation. And I tell every one of my clients, when things go awry, when things go off plan, when you hit your first stumbling block, this is how you go get back on track. This is home base. And you return to home however many times you need to. But whenever you lose your way, I want you to go back to the beginning back to the basics. This is your anchor. And sometimes, you know, a beginner, when a new person comes into me, they are full of hope. They are full of expectation. They are excited. So they are a sponge to the information that I give them. But after a while, after, you know, you've been doing this for a while, that same fervor, word I want to use, like that same excitement for the information, it declines a little bit. And then you can get stuck in that I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. It's not working routine. So sometimes we need to go back to the basics, go back to the beginning. What do you know is true? Find that anchor and then proceed from there. All right. Sometimes in our dramatic displays of our our dramatic deliveries of these grand speeches. Um, Sometimes we have this thought that this is never going to work for me. Like I want it to work for me, but I just don't think I'll ever be successful. Right. A lot of times that comes from multiple failed attempts in the past and to the point where People tell, I just, I don't know if I can, I can do this again. I don't know if I want to do this again. Um, Or they don't have the confidence to do it. I actually listened to a podcast by Mel Robbins, and she mentioned that confidence is the willingness to try. A lot of people think confidence is a feeling, but confidence is an action. All right. And so... One of the things when it comes to building confidence in a certain skill set is be willing to start at zero. Be willing to go back to the beginning. When you get stuck, be willing to dial it all the way back to what you know is true. You know, Mel Robbins said, everyone has to start at zero, but nobody wants to. And I was like, you know what? I'm writing that down. Because how true? Everybody wants to be further along, but yet everybody has to start at zero. And we hate starting something at the beginning. Whether it's because we think we should be further along, whether we think this should be faster, whether we, whatever that thought is, we have to be willing to start at zero. And we have to be willing to go back to the beginning where we have maybe have the beginner's mindset so that we can hone in on what is true and get rid of all the drama. All right. So if you get stuck, if you find yourself delivering dramatic speeches, I want you to ask better questions, right? What if I'm wrong? How could I think about this differently? How would I talk to a friend 
if he or she came to me with the same problem. And when you ask better questions, you create better answers. Right? Let's leave the Academy Awards to the fine people in Hollywood. And let's stay on track with our goals and keep moving forward. All right, let's get you your recipe. So this week is a Greek pasta salad with shrimp. So for this recipe, you're going to need two packages of farfalle pasta. All right, you need a half a cup of tzatziki, prepared tzatziki sauce, or you can make your own. A half a bag, well, a half of a one-pound bag of frozen large peeled and cooked shrimp thawed. Half of an English cucumber, a pint of cherry tomatoes, a quarter cup of pitted Kalamata olives. Now, you know I would not be putting them in because I don't like olives. A quarter cup of finely diced red onion, a half a cup of feta crumbled, and a quarter cup of chopped dill. So first, you're going to cook your farfalle pasta according to the package directions, and then toss the pasta with the tzatziki sauce. And go ahead and season a little bit with salt and pepper. And then meanwhile, you're going to cut the shrimp into bite-sized pieces, dice the cucumber, half the tomatoes, and roughly chop the olives. And you're going to add to the bowl with the pasta, you're going to add the shrimp, cucumber, tomatoes, olives, onion, feta, and dill. Finally, you can season with a little bit more salt and pepper and toss to combine. And this is a great side dish to take to a party. Um, it's a great side dish to have um, with your dinner. I think this makes a great lunch. You can even add some chickpeas to this if you'd like to make it uh, even higher protein, higher fiber. Um, this is a great side dish to, if you're doing a lot of grilling over the spring and summer as we get warmer weather, uh, I think you're gonna really like this one. All right, guys. As always, thanks for coming today. Thanks for showing up and I will see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Bodymetrics Health. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.